weeks ago that uh, uh, we've been working a series of trying to understand the beauty of how God has not only created each of us uh, a little bit differently, but he has gifted us for different reasons, different purposes, different roles in life. As we think about the gifts that God imparts to us and how we use those to serve other people, uh, quite often it may create many questions. And those are some of the things that we want to try to consider and to humbly say, how does that begin to bring us to a place where we can have some kind of assurance or direction in our lives? Uh, we might have questions about um, what are those gifts that we might have, particularly uh, do they have anything to do with the talents or the abilities that I, I currently have? Other questions might be how do my interests or my experiences or the burden in my heart play into uh, the usage of those gifts that God has given to me? Sometimes we have the big question is what really is God's will for my life? And we can spend many uh, uh, periods, lengthy periods of our life trying to understand, Lord, but what is that unique ministry or will for my life? We might have questions about different ministry opportunities that maybe we've been involved in the past or ones that we anticipate God's leading in the future. Quite obviously, there'll be a question on how in the world can I really know? How can I really hear from God and listen to his voice that this is uh, that ministry or that giftedness that you've given to me? Other questions uh, might take us to the other dimension, and that is we might feel guilty, we might be afraid, uh, we might feel like a failure because we wonder, why is it taking so long to know what in the world God wants me to do with my life? So we can go from a, a kind of, a, of an excitement about what this might be. On the other hand, we might feel extremely discouraged because we feel sometimes as if I really don't know, or I've been through this journey so long, and I can't seem to really know what uh, that is. This morning, I want to reconsider uh, uh, God's plan for our lives from, from another angle. And uh, so before we uh, jump into the idea of what we sense God might be wanting us to do, we want to again look at the concept of who I am is a lot more important than what you and I do. Who I am is quite often one of the areas that uh, sometimes gets rushed through or sometimes we never quite really look at, and particularly how that plays into my perspective of what God has called me to do. Who I am is important. When that is not in a healthy place, when my, my uh, relationship with me is not what it ought to be, then my view of God my view of others, my view of ministry is completely uh, distorted quite often. Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 18. We want to begin looking at verse 9 and read down through 14. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, and we will read down through uh, verse 14. Now, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, 
evildoers, adulterers, or even like this other guy here, the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. And he said, God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified because God, before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that as you have uh, revealed the truth, and you've presented the gospel, and you've taught us the principles that apply to your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you might not only speak into our minds this morning, but we trust it'll get to the heart. We pray, Lord, that as we consider all that you've taught and all you've done, we would recognize the beauty of your purpose in bringing us to these references of truth. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, in advance, and we commit ourselves again to what you choose to say to us even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some things we need to recognize as as we approach this is that uh, Jesus taught quite frequently through the usage of parables, and uh, he would often begin with a familiar kind of an illustration or concept. No doubt, everybody sort of had an idea what the reputation of a Pharisee was, and they certainly had an idea of the reputation of tax collectors, whether the parable had to do with building your house on the rock or whether it had to do with whatever kind of parable Jesus taught, he would often refer to a concept that people either heard about or believed they knew something about, and he would take it from there and apply some kind of a spiritual truce. Some of those illustrations might be right in front of them. I don't know whether there was a Pharisee literally in front of them and there was a tax collector and Jesus in the temple on one occasion says, hey guys, he gets the 12 disciples together. He said, we got two people here. They're going to be the basis of my teaching. There's the guy up front, and there's the guy outside. And, uh, you know, he might have conversed with them, what that might have been about or how that implied. But Jesus was classic about bringing in real-life situations into the mix. His purpose after he had communicated the deeper truth or the spiritual reality is his objective every time in every situation was to get the 12 guys to figure out how they fit into that story. And obviously those 12 guys applies to the the community of us because until we find ourselves in the middle of that story, then the parable has lost its purpose. The parable every time is to take us from one place of life, one position, one attitude, one mindset, and move us into the way in which God speaks to us over and over and over again. He wants to communicate something through this story, and it's important to know that it might not seem like there's any connection between a Pharisee and a tax collector uh, pertaining to how we use our gifts that God gave us, but I trust that if you give me a little bit of time, I can point us in that direction at least. I trust we might understand what it means to be humble before God. 
Uh, this parable, uh, like uh, many of the other parables, may give an appearance of the good guy, bad guy situation. As, as you look through the teachings of Jesus, it seems like he says, now here's a good example and here's a bad example. And regardless of the parables that come to your mind, quite often we might get the idea there's a good answer and a bad answer. There's a right way to think and there's one that is wrong. There are people who are, are the ones that identify with us. You know, we're inside the church and there's people that identify with the world. Uh, I'm not saying that's healthy. What I am saying is that quite often the parables seemingly and appearance-wise fall into this kind of a category. And so everybody wants to identify with what? The good guy. And nobody really wants to identify with a bad guy, but that's what happens with parables and the teachings is that we find ourselves kind of naturally or uh, sort of automatically uh, identifying with at least the right answer, and we assume that if we think the right answer, we're in the right place. Does that sort of make sense? We may be uh, uh, compelled to assume that we're always the good guy, but I've discovered something over many years of ministry, that there's a lot of people who are identifying with a bad guy. And that's something we need to understand pertaining to uh, the usage of the gifts that God has given to you. If I identify with a bad guy, then most likely my view of the gifts will be, I don't have any. Does that sort of make sense? And when I sort of identify with the Pharisee, I might say, you know what, I got a lot of gifts, and I can tell you what they are. And so what you and I need to realize is the beauty of the parable is something that we must learn to understand and value and appreciate. The beauty of how Jesus is able to, to take life situations and bring you and I into the mix and give us a little bit of a spin and tell us he loves us. And then when we go flying off one way or the other, he picks us back up. He says, you know, I can use a guy like you because you're crazy enough to follow me long enough that in the spin of life and in the teachings of the Word of God, he's going to change us before the finish line. And that's something we need to understand is that uh, we, we, we may struggle from one dimension to the other. We might struggle with the idea that we know the Pharisee's the bad guy, and so we sort of want to say anything like, well, we're certainly not there, but trust me, I got a little bit of Pharisee in my blood, and so do you. And somehow, through the beauty of our relationship with God, uh, Jesus is able to give us a blood transfusion. He's able to take that which is not so beautiful and begin to put his blood all over us and maybe inside of us so that we come out a different kind of person. And that's the richness of the parables. The parables were never intended to separate or to allow us to think we're on the good guy's side or maintain the bad side and get a false idea of humbleness, but we are to come to the place where this truth simply is truth, and it speaks in its richness into so many areas of our life. Certainly, Jesus did not come to separate the good guys and the bad guys. As a matter of fact, his primary task or role in communicating all truth is the principle or the concept of redemption. Uh, redemption, uh, because I, I, I get excited when I see a junkyard. Anybody get excited when you see a junkyard? You know, 
Everybody throws their cars away, and I'm sitting there thinking, what potential that car has, okay? And so when I look at something, I think of what you could do with it to cause it to become something great. Well, that's my illustration of redemption. Jesus pulled me out of the junkyard a long time ago. I'm well aware of it. And uh, uh, Ruby and Mike are here from Arkansas, and Ruby could testify that I wasn't born in the church pew, okay? So she understands redemption because Jesus is able to take us regardless of where we've been and begin to visualize or impart to us a purpose and plan that is so much greater than anything, and he brings us to a place where he can put us back together again and send us down the road with a shiny new covering. Well, what really is redemption is it it kind of takes us back to an Old Testament concept and maybe a historical concept that you and I are well aware of is the seasons are times of slavery. In other words, there was times throughout history that people were reduced to simply property. And so if you were an individual who had any kind of money more than simply surviving, you would be wise, rather than buying a brand new tractor to take care of your fields, is you buy a slave who is strong. And so people were treated as property. As awful as that sounds, we are well aware that that stuff still happens in our culture and generation, only it's kind of covered by different kinds of forms and everything else, is when people are reduced to property, the person who purchased the property or the slave had a decision once they bought someone else. I can let this guy go free because I bought him. Nobody else could ever use that guy as a slave if the owner set him free. And the beauty of redemption is that if we have connected the dots, is Jesus is the master at redemption. He pays this huge price by dying on the cross and paying it, not in coins, but he pays it in his own blood. And he sets us free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And that's the beauty of this gospel. And that's really the purpose behind this parable. Let's go back and look at Luke chapter 18. It's hard for us to imagine that when we see the Pharisee, just the title causes us to say, oh, Jesus can't wait to get his hands on this guy and slice him to pieces. Somehow we've kind of got the idea over years of the good guy, bad guy concept that all Pharisees were bad. All Pharisees are the ones that Jesus loves to beat up. Now, granted, many of the Pharisees had one fundamental issue, and that is their blood created pride. It was seemingly born or bred within the makeup, within their mentality. And so the reason why Pharisees typically are perceived as the bad guy is they believed they were right and what does that make the rest of us wrong in other words they were classic of the good guy bad guy concept and so when jesus would uh, would try to defend a woman caught in adultery right away they say we got it jesus you must believe in the good guy bad guy thing and we're going to give you an example to prove to you that you really want to nail her to the wall. And Jesus simply takes the opportunity and says, when he looks into the eyes of these individuals, 
He said, let's take the law that you cherish and let's break it apart and let's look at the law. That the very law that says you must condemn, the one who throws the stone must be the witness. And there must be two or three witnesses. And in essence, Jesus seems to be saying is you've got your witnesses. But he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. So the witnesses most likely were the guilty ones. And Jesus is a master at uh, communicating this. But we can't get the idea that all Pharisees were bad and all Pharisees have a problem. Jesus simply utilizes what seemingly is known as a reputation. And he builds a case upon it to present to us. Now, the difference as we look at this is Jesus wants to redeem the Pharisee. And that's something we don't always understand. It's hard for us to grasp that Jesus died on the cross for us who are afraid to come into the temple. We worship God from a distance, but he also died on the same cross for all the Pharisees. The parable is not intended for you and I to decide whether we're on the good side or the bad side. The purpose of the parable is, Lord, I'm dealing with both today. I've got sometimes the mentality or the feeling like I'm better than what I've seen people around me. But there's times that I don't feel very deserving to come into the presence of God and worship Him knowing everything is fine. There's a constant dynamic happening in our hearts when it's in a right place. A healthy place is you can get too high, you can also be thinking too lowly. Both of them had a issue. Both of them had a perspective on life. Both of them came from different sides, but both of them needed to be changed. And that's what redemption is all about. The purpose of all Jesus' teaching, the parables and everything else, is to not conclude that we're good guys. It is more likely to conclude, I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. And when we think about gifts of ministering and serving other people, one thing that's important for us to always remember, simply the gift you have certainly doesn't make me better than the one that needs that gift any more than the gift I have doesn't get squashed because I don't feel like I'm worthy of ministering to other people. And so we think in terms of these that uh, we start with uh, those particular uh, thoughts. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 3 because I, I simply want to uh, give us a little bit of uh, substance to chew on when we talk about the fact that uh, uh, some of us might say, but pastor, that word justified, the one goes home justified and the other one doesn't. So obviously there's a good guy and bad guy kind of thing going on here. Let's look at justification. Because I think it's important, particularly if you're here today, and your struggle isn't so much that you're dealing with Phariseeism in your blood, but you're dealing with still worshiping God from a distance. Does that make sense? In other words, we got the tax collector doesn't feel that he is worthy to come into the presence of God, so he stands at a distance. And what does he continue to do? He beats himself up. He beats his breast. I'm not worthy to come and worship God. I'm not worthy because of my identity. I'm not worthy because what other people think of me as a tax collector. I'm not worthy to come into the presence of God. Jesus wants to bring both. 
the tax collector. He wants to bring the Pharisee. And in order for us to be able to have some kind of self-assurance that what God has gifted me can be used for his kingdom, I must deal with possibly issues of pride at times in my life, but I certainly must also deal with the issues of feeling unworthy to be used of God to help somebody else's life change. Romans chapter 3, we want to uh, uh, look at this concept of, of justified. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are, what's that word? Justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption, the guy that bought me out and set me free, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did it to demonstrate the justice, his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so, that, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What that is, is saying, if I try to simple it down a little bit, is in the Old Testament, if you remember, the way people were forgiven was a, an individual brought to represent for his own sin a sacrifice that he trusted was pleasing to God, and he would present it on that altar, and the blood was applied, and that individual was credited justification. Jesus made it very clear when we get to the New Testament that all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament did not completely cleanse the worshiper. They simply created a greater need that one day the real sacrifice, the one that really justifies us, would take place, and Jesus did that on the cross. That's important to know that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross not only paid for all the sins from Adam and Eve all the way to the finish line, that same sacrifice will cleanse you and I to the finish line. That's important to understand the concept of that cleansing and justification. So justification is somewhat of a legal concept that there is no debt or no record to our account. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because we are justified. Now think about it. The one worshiping God from a distance, the tax collector, he may struggle with faith just as the Pharisee struggles with faith. The one has a faith that believes he has earned his way. The one worshiping God from a distance may struggle with the faith that Jesus cleanses me all by himself. One struggles with grace. Does that grace truly cover me? Do I need to earn it? I hear so many times people who are, are trying to grow in their Christian life, they say, you know, but I just don't feel very clean. I don't really feel saved. I wonder, is God really doing anything in my life? It's not about your feelings. It's about the facts. And that's important to understand that Jesus brings the two extremes together, and he invites us to step into the miracle of the power of God's Word and let the richness of God's Word do what God's word's designed to do. It's able to bring us who are high down 
it's able to lift us up who walk in a misconception of what humility is about. The beauty is Jesus wants to save the Pharisee just as much as he wants to save the tax collector. And that is the concept of of the power of justification. He brings us to a place where he not only justifies us in a legal sense, but he also justifies us in a new kind of relationship. The reason why Jesus said, when the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed, is because when we first come to faith, we come with an attitude and desire to be a servant of God. And through Jesus Christ, he takes away our servant title, and what does he give us? Sonship. That is so important to understand the beauty of this transition that takes place in our lives in, uh, as, as that takes place. Um, well, let's jump ahead a little bit here because we're going to run out of time. Luke chapter 18. Let's go back there. And I want to look at uh, verse 14. Luke chapter 18. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified because God, before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As God begins to speak in our lives through this parable, because as we read the parable, we can identify what uh, God is impressing upon our heart. And as we look uh, with, with genuineness, we search through each and every word, we grab a hold of each and every phrase, we try to step into every aspect of the parable. For example, we'll simply look uh, um, at, at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, the way God speaks to me and has begun to lay upon my heart is as I begin to read that and I begin to understand there are times when I have greater confidence in my life, in my relationship with God, and there's other times that I wonder, uh, where is my confidence really lie? Um, it's important to know that when you look at that, it, it's, it's safe to step into the confidence of being overly righteous because we recognize that God is, is constantly transforming us. And until I'm willing to let the truth simply speak into my life, I don't really want to identify with the Pharisee because we know he's the bad guy and I want to be the good guy. The way the truth works is I'm no longer afraid because I am a son of God, a child of God, that I can look at truth and let truth do what truth's intended to do. It's okay to acknowledge that I've got something that God, by his grace, has the power to change. We look at that and we begin to realize, yes, there are moments when I have sensed that my righteousness is not just simply gifted to me, I earned it. Do you ever try to help somebody that's in a big hole? I mean, whatever issues, whatever problems they have, whatever crises going on, and you look at them and you say, you know, if you would simply just do a few things right, you could get out of that hole. And Maybe none of you are like that, but I, you know, I, I'm a fixer, okay? So I'm trying to fix people, and I, sometimes I have to ask God to forgive me. My role as a pastor isn't to fix you, and, uh, and, and you're, 
your, your seasoned position in life isn't to fix the pastor, okay? But sometimes it, it comes that way. We interchange in that way because we rub off each other, we help each other, we challenge one another. It doesn't mean we don't confront one another, but we need to realize that sometimes when we, we look at other people, we get that, that moment of, gee, it's great to be a Pharisee. I mean, think about it. We've arrived. We've reached a level in which our job in life is to fix people that can't quite get it together. And so, but when you look at truth this way, God's word is able to bring aliveness to us. Now, trust me, this has a lot to do with the way you perceive your gifts. It's the way you perceive how God wants to use you. Is the way God wants to use us is he wants to bring us to a place where it's all about Jesus at work and it's not about me. Because as long as there's still parts in which uh, I, I, I am struggling with who I am, it's very difficult to minister in the name of Jesus. It, it keeps coming out. And uh, so we look at this. We allow the Word of God to speak into our life. Yes, there are times when I've had this confidence in my own righteousness. And I you look down on other people. And so Jesus tells the parable that two men went up to the temple to pray. And, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. It's beautiful that the temple was designed to include all extremes of, of people from all different backgrounds and all different levels of their understanding and their devotion to God. And Jesus simply says that the two came together, but one was praying about himself and the other is praying about himself. The one is praying how good he is, and the other one is, in essence, praying how bad he is. The beauty is, regardless of our reference point in life, Jesus knows how to change both. But you and I must understand, I know what it's like to stand at a distance, and I know what it's like to be full of myself. And so the power of God's word is not so much who you identify with, but who you identify with right now, today, at this moment. Because by tomorrow, it might be the other extreme. Today, it might be an overly self-righteous attitude. The next moment, it might be, what a mess my life is. The beauty is that God's grace is sufficient to meet all of those needs. And the way he speaks into our lives is we're willing to say, Lord, if that's me, then help me understand it. If this is me over here, then help me to understand it. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save. And part of that salvation plan was he came to change us and transform us. He came to do such a unique work in our life. Can you imagine... If you had a fresh encounter where God has changed something in your life, what do you think that might do to the next person you talk to? You'd have grace flowing. You'd have love flowing. The secret to all ministry is a fresh encounter of God bringing us back to the center. And the beauty of life is not so much what you and I can do with the gifts. The beauty is that God can gift us and use his blessings right through your hands and feet. Not because of an ability, but it's because a position 
I am justified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And my only real confidence is I know what it's like to be lost and I know what it's like to be found. I know what it's like to have been outside and I know what it's like to get inside. I have a story to tell of how God has been at work in my life and I got one that just happened yesterday. Can you imagine the more that God begins to communicate in your heart and soul about the beauty of moving from wherever we're at to where we are. You have a story to tell, and that's what ministry is all about, is you're sharing your life and the way God has changed your life. One of the greatest secrets to knowing where God is using you is to look back and say, that's where I was, and this is where I'm at today. The concern we have is to not think that somehow we got from here to here because of some great thing we did. It's because of some great thing Jesus did on that cross. And that's what brought us to a place where the gift may not look like something so big. And that's often where those that struggle with their identity assume they don't have any gifts. Well, the gift you have is he saved you. And the gift you have is a story to tell. And the gift you have is, I don't know how to explain it, but one thing is that Jesus, guys, got the power to change your life. It'll radically change your view of your ministry opportunities. It'll radically change your perception of what the gifts are all about. The gifts are not about you and I. The gifts are about Jesus. And his purpose and his plan in life is to take common, ordinary people who always clearly remember what it's like to be a slave and to be redeemed. And the man who purchased me, I thought he was going to use me and abuse me. But one day, he said, you're free. The beauty of the Christian life and the power to where you and I go is to clearly understand he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And in our freedom... We fall in love with the Savior, and we simply say, I just want to tell you about a guy who paid a huge price for me, and then he let me go free, and he can set you free and others free in life. We recognize over and over again as we experience life and we get ourselves involved in interacting with people, and we realize there's a lot of hurting people struggling with all kinds of of things in their lives. What it is that you and I need to recognize is when we perceive these things because of the change Christ created in us, that's what gives you and I the courage to say, this is my story. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you would take us who may struggle wondering what we have to offer and yet, we have a lot to offer because you offered a lot for us. We pray that we would appreciate and value so much the blessing of being a sunset free. That you'd give us the courage to recognize that what you've done in our hearts, it can be shared. And it has great value to others around us. We pray, Lord, as we consider and and contemplate your will and purpose for our life, may we trust that the path we're on and the place we're at, as followers of you, we are in your will. 
God, open up doors, we pray. Establish opportunities to the left and right. Bring us into connection with people. And we trust, Lord, as we look to you, you'd use us. Give us words, but give us love. In Jesus' name.